Warning. Explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to Season 2, Episode 22. This episode, we meet up with our friends Tim Cartmel and Joe Bellany at Fist Fitness Gym. Tim Cartmel and Joe both have been on the show before on Season 1, Episode 11. Um, two of the best human beings you could possibly be around. Really great talk. Go back and check that episode out as well if you want some background on these guys. Um, Tim is uh, Tim has been around. He's traveled everywhere. He's lived in China. He's trained with uh, Sheik Tanun's bodyguard. He is Clever Luciano's first black belt. He teaches jiu-jitsu at Ace Jiu-Jitsu in Fountain Valley, California. And you can find him at shenwu.com. S-H-E-N-W-U.com. Um, Joe Bellany, black belt, owner of Fist Fitness Gym. You can check him out at fistfitnessgym.com. This episode, as always, brought to you by Tortuga Soap Company. Tortugasoap.com. It'll straighten your stuff out, keep you smelling good. Also brought to you by Port City BJJ, home of the Great Northeast BJJ podcast. If you're ever looking for a place to train and you're in Portsmouth, New Hampshire in the area, make sure you come visit us. I'm not saying you guys need a new tie, but if you do, you should go to wearedapperties.com. Check them out, wearedapperties.com. If you go buy a tie, make sure you put in the secret code, ROLL. Um, and as always, we're looking for gummy bears. So if you guys got the gummy bear hookup, let us know. I'll sell my soul for the gummy bears. Hope you guys enjoyed the episode. Got really cool episodes coming, so hang in there. Um, let us know if you got any questions, comments, concerns. Thanks a lot, everybody. We really appreciate it. Peace. up everybody welcome back to the great northeast bjj podcast um we're at fist fist fitness today and what town are we in westford massachusetts but we're just like right over the border chelmsford chelmsford westford. yeah exactly yep. um the riddler ditched me jay's in san francisco <laughs> <laughs> he really is uh uh Ron. I'm here with my friends Tim Cartmel and uh, Makako, Joe, owner, co-owner of Fist Fitness. Um, thank you guys for having me. We're down for a seminar, and they're always I always learn a ton when I get to train with you, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. Great. Um, first, I want to give a shout out to yesterday. I was um, my buddy Brad Wilson did a seminar for the earthquake in Mexico and uh, raised a ton of money. For those guys, and a lot of awesome people came out to teach um, teach techniques and, and raise money. But uh, and my man Rich drove down from New Jersey, and he's a listener. And so, what's up, Rich? Man, we appreciate you listening. Come up and train with Macaco. You're welcome anytime, Rich. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, uh, so a long time ago, we had you guys on this podcast, and man, there's there. I don't think there's ever been another person that made me more interested in traditional martial arts than you, Tim. Oh, thank like, you. It really, yeah. Like I've been thinking about this guy, Lou, Lou. The guy who you lived on his his you slept oh. on his floor. He was in jail for like thirty years. Oh, Liam Kirchman. Yeah. Right, What's right, his right. name? Liam Kirchman. How did you end up at his place? So uh, there was a, a good friend of mine named Dan Miller, and he had a magazine back then. This is like the kind of late eighties, early nineties. It was specifically about one of the kind of Chinese internal styles called Bagua. Yeah. So we had the Bagua Journal, and it was it was a really well done publication. So Dan um, was in Taiwan and, and he went to mainland China to interview famous people. So I met him in Taiwan and he and uh, so he you were living there. At the I time, was living right? in Taiwan at the time, and he hired me as a translator. So and you know I knew a lot of the martial arts guys in Taiwan. So anyway, when I he went to the mainland, I went with him, and um, that's when I think I first met. Uh, Liang Kechuan. He he was famous, you know, famous old school, like literally from the Qing Dynasty guy, and uh, a famous martial artist and fighter, and and done all these things. So I went to translate, and I met him, and I was like, wow, this guy's this guy's awesome. So I went back, you know, asked if I could come train, and he said yeah. And then I started, then I went back to to train with him. What was his living conditions like at that time? Back then, he he. Uh, they, so it's much nicer now. He lived in Beijing, and he lived. A lot of the old, old traditional houses were kind of they're they're C shaped, and they had you know one the fam the 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 patriarch would live on one side. He used his kids on the other side. Then they had a big hall in the middle, and uh, in the in the 90s they were every every room was somebody lived in like a family lived in. So he had like one little room in an old style house with no bathroom, no plumbing, no heating. You had to go to a public toilet kind of down the street kind of thing. There was no heating in it and uh, pretty sparse. Yeah. So that's, that's where he lived when, uh, when, I, when I knew him. And you lived with him? I stayed with him when I trained, yeah. I, I would always try to leave before winter though. <laughs> Concrete floor. Concrete floor, yeah. What's winter like in Beijing? It's cold. Yeah. <laughs> it's cold. It's cold. Yeah, it's cold and, uh, and you know. What's not pleasant at all back then. What'd you guys eat? What did we eat? Yeah, what'd you eat? Like, live I mean, you just eat Chinese food. Yeah, you know? yeah, but it's not like Chinese food. Like, <laughs> it's not like General Tso's chicken, right? That, that may, no, no, no. I, actually, they had a, you know, there's one, one kitchen for the whole group there. Right? Yeah. Because, no, so, you know, you just stir-fried whatever. And, yeah. You know, ate it. So it was pr- pretty simple rice and vegetable kind of kind of food back then. As well, there's a lot of communal thing going on there too, because they were communist. Yeah, well, not <laughs> right. only were they communist, but they, you know, like no one only there was only one kitchen for a group of right. yeah, families. Yeah, exactly. So you know, it was like kind of you're really it was like commune like. Yeah, yeah. He uh, he, he was um, so he 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 fought. Uh, Against the, he was famous in the in the war. He fought against the Japanese. He was fa- kind of a famous soldier guy. And then after the the Japanese were out, it was the the communists versus the Kuomintang, the KMT. And he was on the KMT side, and um, they lost the war, right? right? Like the Shanghai Shek guys. Yeah, the Shanghai Shek guys. Shanghai Shek and his guys left, went to yeah. Taiwan. Yeah. So that's when you're talking about. So he was in a re-education kind of prison for 15 years. 
Basically, re-education. Yeah. We just call it a yeah. prison. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. not like, um, like we're going to help yeah. you. Right. And yeah. then after that, uh, another 15 years, he was out of the, he had, he, he worked as kind of like a janitor gardener. He wasn't really allowed to leave that place, but he was freer. So after 30 years, he finally left, but he was never, he was always a little bit kind of, I guess the term we blacklisted with the government, they wouldn't yeah. let him travel. They, you know, his life was never very, very good. Although he, he taught martial arts the rest of his life. How old was he when you met him? He, he must've been in his mid late seventies, maybe mid seventies to late seventies. And then he died in his kind of mid eighties. How does living in a commune? I've never lived in a communist country. Um, how do like he taught martial arts? Did people pay him? Um, yeah. So the back then too, there weren't many, except for the wushu, like the official government martial arts. There weren't really any academies. They taught that kind of thing at university. So most of the guys that taught traditional martial arts taught them at home or in, mostly in parks. You yeah. went to the park and they had groups and parks. And uh, you know, yeah, I mean, people would, depending on the teacher. I mean, I'm sure. You know, students would pay whatever. I don't know what everyone else paid. Like, when you're living in a communist, um, does the government just... How, how does that work? Like, does the government give you money? Or does, like, they give you... You, you just well, go to the stores and... Well, I mean, there's, there's, social, a lot more, there's social programs, obviously. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, but yeah, it's the same thing. I mean, you have a job, you get paid kind of thing. Right. A, lot, a, lot of the, a lot of it... Now it's maybe different, but back then it was regulated. I mean, it was really hard to lose a job. You did, but there was really no kind of upper mobility a lot of places either. You just work, That's just what you did. You just worked wherever you, you were. You were a janitor. You were a janitor forever. And, yeah. Uh, there was, now it's, you know, it even started changing in the early 90s. I mean, there, there weren't, now, you know, you could, for example, like you could sell, you know, vegetables in the market. Back then it was pretty regulated. But the martial arts then, you know, the, the, during the, the Great Leap Forward kind of time, it was suppressed. It was futile and all that. And I don't think they wanted to learn how to fight. And then by the time I was there, it was pretty, it was okay. I mean, the, the traditional teachers would teach in the parks or at home and they were left alone. But uh, what, what a lot of people don't know is that a lot of the, the old time famous great masters left um, the mainland and they, and they went to Taiwan because the, as a martial artist, you were considered like an artist and so when the communists took over in the 40s you know during the cultural revolution they were wiping out people right. you know and so martial artists split and a lot of them but you know that could have split they all went to taiwan they also had a, a tradition in china of at least pseudo martial arts groups causing rebellions like an agent of the taiping rebellion they had so they 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 didn't the communists at the time especially didn't really like any kind of large uh non-government control groups they like the what was it, the following gong like the qigong group they had in oh, the yeah, early 2000s yeah, yeah. they were like meditating and doing you know actually they didn't like that they didn't like any organized groups outside the government so martial artists were like i think especially kind of but well, they were dangerous too they right, were, yeah. right so you know um a large martial art group or a, a group of guys that actually know how to fight and can have strategy and students and followers. students followers you know, not good for uh, the communist government at that at that particular time. So that's why a lot of those guys split, and they went to Taiwan, and which so, is a part of China, but it's an I. It's well, it's it's yeah. There's the governments were separate. So Chiang Kai Shek, when he when he lost to Mao, right? He basically him and a big part of the Nationalist Army just fled to Taiwan. Mm-hmm. So they were, you know, kind of officially governmentally at war, but there was really it was a cold war basically, right? So the, the United States supported Taiwan. 
because they were not communists, and that's really you know they got built up and yeah. So they're they're still like a yeah officially it's a province of China. Yeah, and so when so Tim was fortunate because I believe that when he went over there to live and to study, he had access to a lot of the old masters that fled the mainland um, during the Re- revolution. And so he got access to a lot of uh, real good um, old school information. And if he was, if he, if he went to the uh, mainland originally when he started, he, he probably wouldn't have the same depth of knowledge or access. No, um, mid-80s, it was a little harder. Yeah. And then he would have been exposed to like the wushu techniques were more like, you know, gymnastics, acrobatic stuff, maybe because that, that was like in a national center. But, but he, because he, he was in uh, Taipei um, studying uh, the language and the, the literature, he got access to a lot of um, great guys. And, and it was interesting, one led to another, right? So he... He trained with so and so, and that opened a door for him to train with so and so because he's a you know he's a white guy from Southern Southern California, right. who kind of you know in the beginning you know just learning the language, okay, and he's pretty diligent as far as you know you know being uh, a, a you know, really good student, but he's still not one of the boys you know, and so it took time for him to build up his reputation. And then once that was done, you know, he would, he had easy introduction to like higher and deeper knowledge of like guys within, within the Chinese martial art community, you know? So he, he paid his dues, uh, and, and it wasn't given to him. Like he just didn't go over and say, Hey, I'm going to walk, you know, I'm not saying, I'm just going to walk in and train with Leon Ketron. Knock on his door and say, Hey, here I am, buddy. And they'd be like. That old man, that crazy old guy would have killed him, you know. Um, but, you know, he had the letters of introduction. You know, it kind of rose through the ranks almost, so to speak. That's interesting. That was it. He lived in Taiwan? No. Oh, he was in Beijing. Oh, right. But he oh, got, right. But he got, intro, you know, because of the Dan Miller connection mm-hmm. and Tim having trained with other people that Leon Ketron knew, it was like, okay, this guy must be somewhat legit, you know, one of those deals. Let's see what we can. Let's see what you can do, kid. What was he like? Like as a yeah, as a as a person. Um, I'm fascinated with this guy, he, man. I've been thinking about him since the last time we talked. He was uh, eccentric, I think, um, because of all the torture. Right? Did yeah, he tell man. you about his time in in jail? Yeah. Like, so he was, you know, he was a famous martial arts fighter, and he would. He I actually have a, a copy of the original, or a copy of the original article he gave me one time. He was, when he was in college, he was probably 19, and the Japanese were occupying. And, um, you know, they'd set up, the Chinese have leitai, like, like platform fights. And the Japanese would set up fights, and then they'd send out, you know, some, like, really badass judo expert, right. you know, martial arts guy to, to beat up the Chinese in public to kind of prove their superiority, mm-hmm. you know. And, and it was kind of unfair in that I think they're fairly particular on who they let fight. Sure. And, um, and they were good. I mean, these guys were just really good, some really good fights. So anyway, the Ankechen... Came came from a Shenzhou, a place outside Beijing. So he was going to school there. He was like 19. And he signed up for one of them. And nobody knew he'd done martial arts since he was a kid because he didn't talk about it. So 
he signed up for a tournament or he signed up to fight on the, on the platform thing. And, uh, you know, he told me his friends were like, you're going to be killed. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> nobody knew. But anyway, so the rules, the rules are basically, you know, if you're knocked out or you're knocked off the platform or you're thrown down on the platform, you, you lose, you know, that those are the rules. And other than that, it was pretty much, you know, whatever you wanted to do. So he, he, uh, he went out to fight the, the Japanese guy and there's a, a, a form in the style he did. It's, it's called the snake form. And they have a, it's, just, it's like a single leg, basically. It's a throw. Mm-hmm. So they, uh, you know, they started fighting, and he just kind of got under and just threw the guy with it. And officially, he should have won. And then the, the referee kind of said, hey, wait, no, wait a minute, he slipped. So my teacher said, so I threw him the same way so they knew it wasn't an accident the first time. <laughs> and then he threw him with it again, and he won. So he was like in the newspaper. It was a big deal. Yeah. So he got, he got fairly famous when he was fairly young. At it. So he'd done all these martial arts, and then after the whole army time, so after he kind of got out of the re-education pr- you know, prison, he started, he was famous, so he's teaching him. But I think, because I, I, of course I never knew him when he was young, right? He was old when I met him, older. So he, 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 he was a little bit eccentric um, about things. Uh, a little bit hard to understand sometimes, you know, cause he, but a super good guy. And uh, he really, really wanted to, to have traditional martial arts you know there was sanda then you know chinese kickboxing and all this but he, he really wanted to teach like the his the old style old school martial arts that he learned as fighting arts which had been kind of suppressed for a long time and that was his thing and he was really open about it if, if you came to him and you were sincere about it he was like totally willing to, to teach and he had other foreign students to train with him and you know he's really happy about that who taught him you know his i can't i can't remember i can't remember his uh his Xingyi teacher is, is he was uh, fairly famous too. I can't remember his name offhand. And he was he was also a, he might have been a colonel. He was some kind of high rank guy in the army at the time. And my teacher was kind of a valet almost for him in the army for a long time because he wanted to keep training with him. And then he also when he was young, um, there's a the Bagua the, the Bagua style the other other internal style that he was famous for. The founder the founder had a few famous students and one of them was a guy named Chen Tinghua who was a champion wrestler. And they, he had his own kind of style. And he, he lived for a couple years with that guy's son, Chang Yongwong. So he, he was like, you know, one generation down from the founder. And wow. he, he, did that. he actually lived with the guy for a couple years and trained. So um, close to the source of the Bagua. And those are his two big things, two big styles. Was he like open to, or was he, was he like rigid with what, this is the stuff and this is how you do it and this is it? Or is it more like, you know, like, open to oh like oh maybe that would work you know what i mean yeah i mean when he taught it you know he had a, I mean, it was done in a, in a sequential method mm-hmm. he started with standing practices and then kind of basic exercises and then you learn forms and then then you started learning they'd have usually two person what we would call drills now like when you're drilling jiu-jitsu you know and then then you started sparring that was and it was yeah you really couldn't go to him and go hey can you just, <laughs> can you just teach me your best now <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. probably worked right but, but uh, he was very, you know, open, open about teaching it. And if, if you could learn fast, he would, he would teach fast. Yeah, he had some very good, very good guys. Um, I, think, I think the thing with him, it goes back to in like a, where, a lot of, um, where a lot of that stuff gets lost is what you said was um, the real fighting aspect of the, tr- the training. And there's a lot of like the Chinese arts here in the States now that just have lost that whole, that whole emphasis where 
and also not just Chinese arts, but you know, like Japanese traditional arts. traditional arts, right? And that was that's the problem. I mean, like they don't they don't they don't well, use any force or chut, they don't cha cha. You know, I think I think so, so they don't resistance. You know, they yeah. Don't, part part of it with the internal too. It got it got this. People got this idea, and a lot of you know the the original Chinese teachers thought that it was there was some you know like mysterious powers and right. that kind of thing. So what happened? I think think too was it's a lot easier to sell it as either a health art or an art where you don't really have to train super hard physically or fight, but you'll develop this kind of power, right? Superhuman. Yeah, and, and that, obviously you're going to get more people doing that kind of thing. And not that it's bad for health. I mean, it's really good for health and all that. But those guys, it was, there was really no demarcation in their head between like what they taught in any other martial art. You had to do a lot of really hard physical training, and then you had to do a lot of really hard contact sparring. And uh, that's, that was pretty much across the board with the, the old school guys that did it as martial arts. So, you know, the, the magic was in getting really good at it, you know, and training hard. And then they all completely missed the value of conditioning. You know, it was, it was a yeah, lot of heavy just like in, Just like in jits today, right? I mean, like, so it's like guys who, get, who are good at it, you know, like they do, they're really in good shape. They do a lot of conditioning and they, they roll a lot, you know? So that's how you get your chops, right? And yeah. so it's, 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 it was no different back then. Those in the old school guys were doing that just that but that's hard right so that's why what's the fallout in brazilian jiu-jitsu like for every ten thousand guys that start like one gets a black belt or whatever the statistic right. is so it's hard you know so it's you know and it's a lot easier to go to you know stinky's uh you know mcdojo down the street and get a color belt every like three months and feel good about yourself so it's it's that's a challenge you know it's a it's a that's the challenge i think and why a lot of the traditional arts i remember it's so funny i remember you know starting brazilian jiu-jitsu at boston brazilian jiu-jitsu and you know you know coming from a traditional art like those guys are all cool and stuff like that but there was always this under under tone of like well that that's not gonna work you know that's your forms are you know and and for you know in a lot of respects they were correct you know and um and i think and i think that that's in from a business perspective uh, i think even today you know keeping a school open and stuff like that, it gets, it gets tough, you know, cause you, you, you can't, you can't to, to, you know, we have the boxers here, right? We're going to fight in the gloves. It's start, so people are starting to train now for the gloves. And so they're doing a lot of the conditioning and stuff like that. And, and, but it's hard work. Right. And so like the people who want to do the cardio fitness boxing classes here, it's like 80% of our, our clientele, you know, our, and and like twenty percent of that are people who actually want to box, and 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 it's and it's hard. That's why I think you know, like from a from a real martial art perspective, like Chinese martial arts. I mean, there's really good stuff. And what Tim talks about, you know, lines of force and vectors and, and you know, and angles and stuff like that. Um, he learned through like the old school fighting aspect, which that's the reason why he can, he, he, he has really good stand up and he's, and his throws are, are great. 
but a lot of people um, a lot of people don't want to go through that whole kind of process you know it's just too hard especially in modern day society I, and I had a conversation with Hickson at, at the uh, Hickson Gracie Cup in Albany just a couple of weeks ago and, and it was an interesting conversation because you know Hicks and I were talking and he was like you know his big emphasis is on self-defense because he thinks a lot of his family art is uh, being uh, lost because of the lack of self-defense emphasis, which I can understand and see. And the other thing he said that, you know, you know, you don't have to, he said the, you know, the, the groundwork is, you know, is a supplementary is a, su- a supplement to really what his his family's art was about. It's first about self defense and you know, and the emphasis of sport. You know, he thinks has been kind of detrimental in a lot of ways to to uh, to limiting the amount of people that can that actually could participate in that and get something out of it. But at the same time, he said, he, he he views that self defense is that middle ground where you can keep people involved, working hard, they'll get something out of it, but they don't have to roll like they're going to get ready to, you know, compete in, in, in various, a various uh, tournament, you know. So it's, 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 it's kind of like that age-old martial art kind of, you know, quandary. You, you need to make it real, but, you know, you got to understand if you make it, like, real like that, you have a very small demographic from a market perspective and how much, how much do you want to sell? You know, how much do you want to sell, you know, sell, sell, sell out like, like the McDojo's the sport, the sport emphasis really, in my opinion, you know, was, was, you know, especially Carlinos and like his, his, you know, like that was a, a way to keep people interested through, you know, through competition. But, but then it's just jujitsu against jujitsu. Right. Right. So it's like, so it's just just an interesting thing and I think you know what what the the traditional martial artists went through when I was starting back 20 years ago in in Boston and training with Tim and doing this stuff the traditionalists were already facing that what what the the modern Brazilian jiu-jitsu guys are facing now because you know I think the the peak of of interest in Brazilian jiu-jitsu has you know the you know the spike is is waned you know and it's like kind of like you know, everything kind of like runs its course and kind of f- finds its water level but you know so you know and especially with the advent of mixed martial arts and stuff like that so it's very interesting to see you know like self defense was the big deal that the traditionalists always claimed right and so now the emphasis, you know, like with mixed martial arts and all that emphasis on, you know, like, you know, the popularity of that. Titles. T- yeah, titles and all. Yeah, titles. And and it's like, I got the most titles. Exactly. All that stuff. So it's very interesting that the Brazilian jiu-jitsu community is kind of going through the same quandary, I guess, is what the traditionalists went through. You know, how do you keep your doors open, you know, have a good balance and, and run a good program? Yeah, you, you need to have um, the balance is the thing, right? So if you're going to do any martial art, 
as a martial art and you, for, for self-defense or fighting, you got to fight, right? So yep. you need competitions. And then you, there's a lot of reasons to do martial arts, though. So you might say, you know, it's like self-cultivation. I want some discipline and some exercise. And there's a lot of uh, market for that. And it's perfectly valid as long as you don't tell your students that you're now you're totally equipped for, you know, fighting. Right. You're not. Right. So, you know, and on the other hand, if you, if you, if you participate in a combat sport that's got a really limited rule set and you're really good at that rule set, you're not really prepared for real fights either. Right. So, you know, you, you got to be realistic at right. what you do and, and why you do it, you know. Right. And, 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 and I think that's the thing that the, the sport aspect of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in and of itself is not bad, but people have, but people have to understand that it's a rule set and, and, and it is limited. Right. So, you know, um, you just have to flesh it out with the stand up and the rest of like actual self-defense. Right. Also the, the mind. So the, here's the thing I, I think is important to understand when you look at the big picture, the techniques that really work are the techniques that really work. You know what I mean? So a lot of people look at sport jujitsu or they look at even boxing and kickboxing and they're like, well, you know, we're deadly. Our tech, it's not true. The techniques that really work in fights are the ones they do in the ring, whatever venue it's the strategy that's different. So if you're going to fight in a ring or you're going to fight in, a, in an MMA fight, your strategy, it's a one-on-one duel and your strategy is geared around, I, I need to win the fight. So you either have to outpoint the guy, knock him out or submit him, right? Or, or physically incapacitate him. So say you're, you're, you're teaching someone, you know, some average person about self-defense. The overriding strategy of self-defense is to get away without getting hurt. Yeah, survive, yeah. right? Survive. So... The techniques that work, right, throwing a punch correctly or a kick correctly or a takedown or how to, how to fight on the ground and get up off the ground, they still work. They're the same techniques. There's no magic street, you know, technique. So the good thing about sport fighting is in any realistic venue when there's contact, what you're practicing is, is the stuff that really works, at least in that, at least that part of the fight or that venue. You know what I mean? You just have to realize that you're going to have to be well-rounded enough to win a fight, but you're strategically, you have to understand what you need to do in a real fight. Right. Yeah, and I think I think that's a, a good, a big, an important point that there's a difference between a duel, like a the, you know duel jujitsu against jujitsu, and a brawl in a in a in a, right. in a fight, right? So it's like you know, like you know, because we just had a bell test uh, yesterday, and you know, one of the things that we do here is I'll put someone in a in a position where like they're mounted on. And so um, they're they're being they're being um, they're being punched, and uh, they're being attacked. And um, so one guy's mounted on the guy, throwing shots. There's another guy that's standing against the wall, like about twenty feet away. And when I say go, that guy starts throwing shots on the mounted guy, and that guy starts walking in from the wall. And he has to get, he has to escape and get up before, before that other guy can come by and touch his head. Because if he, if he, if he comes by and touches his head, that means that guy just, his buddy just came in and just could have kicked him in the head or stabbed him with a knife or, 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 or something. Do you know what I'm saying? So, um, so, I mean, that's, that's realistically the whole thing. So. So that's part of, you know, not only do they have to roll, you know, and, and I like competition, and Tim and I talked about this a lot, 
um, the competition is good because it makes you nervous. And it's the closest thing, right, to a real fight, right? You get the adrenaline going. I mean, it's just it's just nerve-wracking. Anybody who tells you they're not, like, you know, have the butterflies and nervous before they... It's intense. It's intense, right? And that's the closest thing psychologically right. that you're going to experience without really fighting. And that's, that's the important point. That's the most important part of competition, I think. And then... And then you sprinkle in like, you know, different exercises like this. I mean, I'm not, you know, my belt test specifically for the blue belt. So like that is basically like a lot of self-defense. Like, you know, yeah, we're in a boxing ring, right? I mean, boxing gym, right? So basically put on the gloves and try to beat the shit out of him while he's, uh, he's laying in psych okay. control, right? Playing guard. Playing guard. Yeah. You want to yeah. play, you want to play over your back. Here's your 50-50. Right. Right. You know, so it's, um, but, the, but, but they also have to get up. You know, you can't hang out there. And, yeah, so what? You slap a triangle on that guy. This other guy's coming in from the wall, and he's just stepping on your head now. So, I mean, but I think there's the balance there, too. So, I mean, but to Tim's point, you need the, you need the stressor of competition from a psychological a- aspect. And that's a duel, a duel. Like, we're playing by the same rules. Like, you know, just like in the old days, like, George, you, you slap me with a white glove and we will duel swords and, you know, and here's the rules, right? And then it's just, it's different. Like you jumping out, you jumping out like of, uh, the, you, you and Amanda jumping out of the bushes and attacking me like with knives, you know, it's totally different. So I think there's that, it's really interesting to me. And I think that's, I think that's the quandary that jujitsu is going through right now. I was thinking for some reason, I don't know what made me think about this, but like, and popularity of jujitsu, and now there's like a few years ago there wasn't a lot of high level people teaching jujitsu. Mm. Now there's black belts everywhere, yeah. and now maybe like if you said, and there was like this explosion of jujitsu popularity, but maybe if that starts waning, and now there's all these like it's a lot of high level jujitsu guys. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. Like yeah, blood in the street. Yeah, well, war. It's, it's so funny. I mean, like, you know, in Lowell, you know, which is a couple of towns over, um, you know, at one point in time, there was only one or two schools, JIT schools. At one point in time, there were no schools. At one yeah. point in time, there, was no, there were no schools. But now, I mean, in, just in Lowell itself, there's like five or six schools. Okay. So from a demographic where your market is, it's like so competitive. I mean, it's kind of like, like any, any, you know, it's like where, where Tim lives in, in, um, in Orange County, you, you, you can't swing a dead cat without hitting a Brazilian jiu-jitsu right. school, you know, it's, amazing. it's one of them, it's crazy. But, and now it's even like that up here. So I think, you know, and I think it, realistically, I think the, the, the differentiation really needs to be like a balance in your program and, and, uh, you know, you got to have self-defense as well as the sport aspect. You know, I really do think that, and I'm big on this too. I mean, I really do think, and, you know, people make, you know, people might, you know, make, make light of what I say, but I think there's something to this that the stuff that you do learn on the mat really should be applicable or you should be able to apply it to your your outside life. I mean, just like the use of force or someone pushing on you, like yelling at you, 
you know, you kind of like don't yell back, you know, it's force, like force on force, you know, stuff like that. I mean, and it sounds esoteric and it sounds all, uh, all gushy, but I, you know, I don't mean to say it like that, but I think even if, even the discipline of just coming in and going through that, that really helps build an ethic or a character, right? I mean, like, because this stuff is at the end of the day hard. It really is hard. And so that's the reason why how many people come in and they go like this, ah, yeah, that's, it's good. You guys are good. It's good, but it's, it's not, not for me, me <laughs> right? I'd rather get on a treadmill or something like that. So, so all those factors um, weigh into what's going to happen with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu going forward. You know, so it's interesting. So you bring up a thing, right, where I, because I think this about this a lot in that, you know, if we're not getting better as humans and we're just teaching people how to fight and we're learning, we're just like, it's like, just like training fighting dogs, yeah. you know, like hopefully they, I mean, I, and I don't know how the, the, that part works in jujitsu, but I think about it, you know, in that are we just training, teaching, you know training fighting dogs or are we actually all getting better here's an interesting observation on my part when I first started Brazilian Jiu Jitsu there wasn't a whole lot of you know Brazilian Jiu Jitsu out there there was actually two academies in New England there was Boston Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and then there was uh, Julio uh, Fernandez up in Vermont right that was it those were the only two schools Tim said to me he said Joe you gotta go learn Brazilian Jiu Jitsu I was like uh okay and so I mean, I didn't know Roberto or anything like that. And that was the, you know, that was the school. So I walked in there and he sat on my chest and I couldn't get out. And I said, <laughs> this guy could kill me. And I, and I signed up. But, um, but during those early years specifically, and I'm talking when Patrick was, Patrick McBerry from Mass BJ was a purple belt. When John Frankel just got his purple belt. When Kenny was a blue belt. Florian was a blue belt. I mean, all these guys are training on the mat. There was this, this thing of the Brazilian jiu-jitsu population was young. I'll, I'll say it like that. Now there's an existing Brazilian jiu-jitsu base that is getting older. And so now those guys are all, you know, well, Kenny's probably in the late 30s. But like, you know, but Patrick and, and John, for sure, Frankel are in their 40s and stuff like that. So now there's... There's this thing where, you know, again, the traditional martial art is of the guys who walk before them, they, there was always this respect, you know, even though those guys at 60 years old, they knew they, they couldn't kick the 20 year olds, butt, but there was a respect thing because those guys paid their time, you know, paid their dues, did their time. So what I'm hoping is to see that in the Brazilian Jiu Jitsu community where, it's not all about that machismo thing, but it's like, you know, there's older guys that are, that can pass on the knowledge and the experience and hopefully a good ethic to the younger guys. So it's just like you, when you, you're doing judo, right? Is that whole, that whole, you know, the older judoka, you know, that's all banged up, um, you know, has a lot of experience and can 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 pass on the, the knowledge. I'm hoping that kind of happens because realistically is like, oh, I roll with that guy. Yeah, well, I'm 56 years old and right. I have a, and I have a hip replacement <laughs> right now. It's like, you know what? It's like I'm probably not as good as I was 20 years ago, right? So it's like 
it's a fact of nature. Right. So, but I, but I'm, but I can, but I can do other things better than I could 20 years ago, like teach or, or help you get better. But I'm kind of hoping that like what you were saying doesn't really happen, you know, because unfortunately martial arts, you know, they attract a lot of idiots. Right. They do. And hopefully like, you know, the good stuff that comes out of the traditional arts was, was a lot of that respect and, you know, like passing the knowledge, passing the, the, the mantle. But, you know, without all the foo-foo-ness, you know, like all the, the, the fakeness, it should be, it should be like straight up, like sincere, sincerity, I guess is what I'm saying. You know, that's how I look at it. Somebody's calling you out right now. They always do. <laughs> I say, come on down. We'll lock the doors. <laughs> what uh, did, I mean, you guys have both been around a long time. Did you guys ever train with Elio Gracie? No, nope. I only met him one time. Nope. Yeah. Where'd yeah. you meet him? He was, he was over for, uh, I can't remember what it was now, some big tournament. So, you know, I just wanted to shake his hand and then like, you know, like a little, like a fanboy. And then it ran off. Yeah. So, <laughs> like a fanboy. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't even get a picture with him, huh? No, I did not. I have some no, beautiful. no, I had him. He had, remember when he made his book? Yes. Yeah. I had him sign. Nice. Had him, yeah, they had the book. I had him sign. Like the, the big book with all yeah, the pictures. Exactly, yeah, right, right. I have an autographed copy. Nice. It's not for sale. <laughs> Ori loves me. I had coffee with him. Everybody loves <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're friends with all these guys now. Yeah. You yeah. and Hickson hanging yeah. out? Yeah. Hickson's going to help me out when I go there next. Yeah. I don't know if I should say it on the podcast, uh, but. <laughs> it might get me in trouble. WWRD. What would Hickson do? Hey, what would Hickson do, baby? Yeah. Um, I mean, that was something that Helio must have had to. I mean, he was training in some capacity into the, his nineties, oh, yeah. I think. Oh yeah. yeah. There, there's a great video I saw of him and Hoyler. Was it Hoyler? Yeah, yeah I think Hickson. it was Hoyler or, or Hickson doing like the self defense and like stuff like that. Oh yeah, yeah. No. It was maybe it was Hoyler, but like Hoyler would choke him, like you know, mom, and, you know, Helio would bump and trap and roll and all this other stuff and he was like 90 years old I mean and that's the other thing about this stuff too is like one of the things like it's like when I when we were up seeing you guys last um, like then my hip was really starting to bother me but I thought it was just like labrum tear or something whatever you know but um, I, I think in a lot of ways this hip thing has been a blessing because um I, and I told him this straight up, you know, because once, once we, you know, I went to a couple of different surgeons, got opinions and said, I'm going to get, I'm going to, I need a hip replacement. I'm going to get it done. Right. It's like it's structural. It's just, um, I said to him, you know, Tim, Tim was like supportive. He said, yeah, that's, that's all right. You know, like, cause there, you know, there's life after that. And, you know, I know some people, but, but my, my, what I said to him was this, I said, you know, I look at this as like, this is like just another there's no reason um why this can't be something positive because martial arts right whether you're old or sick or you know tired or you should be able to do martial arts and you should be able to defend yourself in some type of capacity because you're never always going to be 25 years old get to sleep 12 hours a day you know you know, eat and just train. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. You know, life happens. And so, you know, you need to, you need to, you know, martial arts should be there to help you 
um, be able to defend yourself no matter what stage you are in life, you know? And, and, and that, that was kind of a big deal for me. I mean, like, that's why I never got, like, disappointed. Um, I was talking to Glover Teixeira at, um, uh, at the Naga Connecticut, Connecticut uh, tournament. And uh, he had his, his, hand, his hand was busted up because uh, of a fight, you know, that last fight he was in. And uh, oh, so by the way, shout out to the Soulcraft guys because uh, yeah. a lot of those guys competed there. They 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 were good. They, they 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 moved really well. There was and they were nice guys too. They're good people. Yeah, really good people. They so um, you know, shout out to those guys. But uh, I was talking to um, uh, Glover, and he said um, he says and he said something that was kind of interesting to me. He said, you know, he said, listen. I said, you know, I have my surgery on this date. He says, you know, August fifteenth at the time. He's like, yeah, I just got my surgery. He goes, he goes, after your surgery, he goes, every day, you're one day closer back to, like, getting back on the mat. Every day. <laughs> so, you know, it was kind of, and I was like, yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you know, when people, you know, yeah, I understand life gets in the way and stuff like that, but, but it should be a vehicle to, you know, like, for self-improvement and also, you know, not that I'm going to get in, in a fight or anything. I listen. You know, look at me. I'm not going to get in any fights, but because uh, uh, I'll sue your ass. But uh, <laughs> but, uh, but but you know, it, it should be something like that. You know, the yeah, uh, speaking of Brad. So Soulcraft is this guy Brad Wilson. Yeah, and uh, one of my you know good friend of mine, a great guy. Yeah, and so I never trained with the guy he trained under. Until yesterday, Marcio Stambowski. Oh yeah, I, I seen his school in Connecticut. So yeah. this dude is—I mean, he—you know—he's a coral bell. He's like an eighth-degree black. Yeah, guy. Right, yeah, you yeah. know, I mean, he—he—they call him Macau. Yeah, yeah. Hicks and talks about his. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Rislo- yeah, yeah, yeah. So interestingly enough, right? That's what he showed yesterday was wristlocks, which I thought was awesome. It's awesome. But he is like the the nicest. You know, one of the I was you know a guy tall you dude, wanted, right? real tall yeah. and skinny yeah, macaroni yeah. they call yeah, him. Yeah, you know? and, yeah. Uh, um, what an amazing guy! Mm. You know, one of them guys you just know. You you see him, you're yeah. in, you know, and that's you're cool. like, ah, oh, this guy is all right. You're talking yeah. to him, and that's great. Know. Yeah, that's what I, it should be. It's what it should be, man. It's what it should be. I mean, yeah. anybody who's a kind of a a jerk, you know, then they just got a fragile ego. I mean, like one thing you've been, you do this in a long time. You know that on any given Sunday, someone someone can ring your bell. So it's like can't have a fragile ego and you got to be open you know i mean to grow really right. i mean so i don't know i mean but it's I, I always i always like it when when you meet someone that's that's like you know been around that you know that will actually give you the time and shoot the breeze it's kind of like mickey here yeah you know like you know you know me and mickey talk about i don't know high blood pressure <laughs> you know how was your last physical right. well you and you and, and you know you're talking to different guys about your hip yeah right? well hickson too yeah so like you know we talked about her like our you know dan her yeah all those guys you know and they've been very supportive i mean like you know and and uh and we talk about you know as you age stuff happens you know and so how do you deal with it you know and I think that's a big deal because I think a lot of people just quit. They go like this, uh, you know, I have a, I have a hip. I, I, I can't do that. Now, granted, I'm in a position that's a little different. But um, if it's something that I really, really love to do, I mean, it'd be, it'd be terrible. It'd be like, you know, like half of my, something, something being ripped, you know, person, 
part of me being ripped away from, you know, my body. Um, and one of the things at Hickson's tournament, which I liked, is they did this the self-defense, you know, kind of, they demoed the self-defense competition uh, thing that they want to, you know, incorporate into future tournaments. And Pedro Sauer was there, and, and he did it. And one of Pedro Sauer's uh, purple belts, I can't remember the gentleman's name, a uh, really nice guy. Uh, he, he's in a wheelchair, and it was the same thing. I mean, he was going through self-defense stuff, uh, you know, doing part of the demo, you know, in, in, in a wheelchair, you know. And it was, I mean, I don't know. I mean, stuff like that I see is like it's, it's this. I mean, if you if you want to do something, um, and, you know, I'm never going to beat Puchecha. So does that mean I should, you know, quit jujitsu? No. You know, so it's like I, you should be able to like modify things and, you know, you know I'm not going to box anymore either. So it's like, you know, but that doesn't mean I can't move around, you know, and, and do stuff. Um, but I think it's, it's unfortunate that a lot of people just go like this. Oh, I got a I got a hernia. Oh, I got a uh, That's it. I'm done. I got to quit. It's like, oh, I got to I'm done. I got to quit. I mean, it's like. It, 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 you know, it, you don't have to. You can always modify things, and and I think you you have to constantly constantly be assessing or reassessing your reasons of why you're doing this stuff. Like when Tim started martial arts in Southern California, his reason to do martial mm-hmm. arts is probably different than what it is now. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing What's the reason this. now, Tim? What's the reason yeah, now? What's the reason now? Yeah, what is the reason it's now? all I've ever done, so I, <laughs> what else am I going to do? Yeah, that's exactly. a good reason. Yeah. That's a good reason. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's like, you know, if he had a, if he had something, you know, that he couldn't, like, do his normal stuff, he would, I'm totally convinced he would modify it to, mm-hmm. to do, to do, still do it, do yeah. stuff. Well, you're right, so as you age, you know, you can, you can, uh, you can adapt, right? You can do it at whatever capacity you can do it at. You should adapt. Like we said, you know, Helio could roll when he was 90. I guarantee he wasn't like when he was 30. I yeah. But he could still. Yeah. He could still roll. Yeah. I mean, so it's like a matter of like, and then it goes back to, you know, if he, if he doesn't have that, he has to adapt his physical body, but he has to adapt. This is really kind of important. He has to adapt his mental attitude. Right. Because if he doesn't, when he enters that new phase, he's going to say, well, I can't do, uh, I can't do this anymore. So, uh, uh, done. And, and so you have to, you have to adapt. And that's what kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier is like, there's different phases that you go into as a martial artist that you should be, you should re- really should be like, you know, um, uh, kind of re- reevaluating of, you know, what, where I'm at and what I can do to not only improve myself, but share as you get, as you get, as you get along. I mean, you have to, you have to be able to pass that mantle, the true mantle, the, the sincere mantle, you know? Yeah. I mean, you guys both, and I don't expect you to put words in Hickson's mouth or whatever, but you guys both are training, have trained with Hickson. He is, I'm assuming going through a similar thing where he was, the the great as considered the greatest, you know, jujitsu practitioner, and and he's getting older. I mean, does he adapt? You know, and he's having 
hip issues. Yeah. He has to change his ideas, right? Yeah, when I, you know, when I trimmed a couple, he's like Yoda, though. He, he would kind of come in the gym when he teach class and uh, at, his, at Crohn's school. And, he, you know, you could tell he's, he's in pain and he's off. And then he'd warm up and then he, you know, he, was like, <laughs> he just whooped everyone's ass. Yeah. And then he put his thing back on his back foot thing, you know. So, yeah. I mean, I, I think I heard him say one time something like he was only 50% of when he was young. But it seemed to be better than everyone else still. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He might be an exception. And I think... I think with the Jiu-Jitsu Global Federation, I think his attitude or his, his emphasis, and I think he's, he said this, is it's not about him as being a competitor anymore. I mean, his competitive days are gone behind him. Um, you know, he's, you know, he's in his 50s, late 50s, you know, and, 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 but his, his adaptation I mean, like, you know, you know, you roll with him, you, you know, he's still Hickson, right? But, uh, but, but his adaptation or his, his emphasis now is to, to grow what, what he, he feels is, was his family's charter or mission. And so that's the reason why he formed the Jiu-Jitsu Global Federation. And I think that's, you know, so like he has adapted like, uh, you know, that whole mindset thing. So I think that's really kind of important. Um, yeah, he doesn't, yeah, you know, I, I, I don't know. Anyway, I wouldn't put words in his mouth, right. but, but I would, I would venture to say that he, he, his whole emphasis is, is totally different and he doesn't look at himself as an individual, but he looks at himself as like this ambassador to, to cultivate, you know, uh, jujitsu. And, and that whole problem and, and help with the self-defense aspect again, you know, I would say that I really would. Um, and I, you know, I don't know how, you know, like psychological, I mean, it's interesting. Your, your question is interesting. Any competitor that like, that, you know, like that has achieved like high, 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 you know, it, it, it messes with your brain. It's like, okay, I'm not at that level anymore. And so now what? And so you really better, you know, self-assess and then and understand what was the main driver. Then if it was just pure competition, probably people will quit. They just retire. Yeah, people will retire. It was just pure competition. And then they struggle with what to do after. Exactly. they don't know anything else. Exactly. And that's where that's where it's too bad because those people can, can be – really helpful to drive, um, you know, a knowledge into the, into the new, new members of the community. And that's really what, and it goes back to the traditional martial arts, right? Is like, you know, that's, you know, they get to the, you know, Leon Kuntron, who was killing literally Japanese guys with his hands at one point in time, you know, you know, when he was 80, you know, he wasn't killing anybody. He probably could have, but he wasn't. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about yeah, that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but you know what I'm saying? But he Did was he te- trying to kill you. But he was t- not trying. I tell you a story though. When I was there, he was probably probably 78, and he got in a fight. And uh, it was he had a student who had a big academy. It's a long story, but there was some. Um, uh, oh, this is a good wanted, story. They wanted uh, money, like uh, you know, like gangster protection yeah, money yeah. kind of thing to run the place. So we showed up and. Uh, 
he put one in the hospital, one of the thug guys. 78. 78, right? And when he'd tell the story, he'd be like, I killed that guy. Like, you know, I tried to kill that guy. <laughs> he was still pretty tough. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's a good story. I mean, but he shared, but he, but he knew his place, I think, at 78. That he, he really wanted people to learn. He wanted people to right. learn, you know? So it was like. So some people. Yeah, well, some people. There was inner doors and uh, inner door and outer. Well, no, doors no. I mean, I mean, he, you know, some, I mean, some, some. Yeah, not him, but yeah, some. some yeah, not oh, some people that get older don't want. Sometimes, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, think, I think people that, that. My my experience was the best guys that were the best at it were pretty much the most open in general because they weren't they weren't defensive about what they knew and they weren't jealous because you know you know that kind of thing mm-hmm. and, and uh, some people that were okay like they're okay mediocre. They, they tried to have, they tried to do things like be secretive and, and have a lot of hype, you know, because they, they were trying to build themselves up. And the guys were really, really good, were just good at it. So, you know, I think, I think that uh, that's, that's just human nature in a way. You know, and I don't, like, like if you look at Hickson or you look at a lot of the older school guys, um, or, you know, you're talking, they, they're, that are really good, they're pretty open about it. Yeah. And, and they, they understand the arts are bigger than them. You know what I mean? They're like custodians, or they're going to pass it down. Yeah, that's an important. That's that's a really important point. I think, I think really, and that goes back to the whole ethic and stuff like that. The art is bigger than you, and and that's why, like at a certain level, you achieve a certain you know kind of uh, amount of knowledge, um, and you might not be able to execute. But when you're executing, competing, and winning in tournaments, it's about you, right? Because I remember when Kenny was fighting and stuff like that, Kenny, you know, Kenny had to be really selfish. You know, being a fighter, you know, you have to be really, really selfish, right? And it's all about you. But, you know, there's a point where you have to make that transition. It's not about you anymore. It's kind of like you guys, like parent, right? It's not not about you guys, you know, all about you, right? It's, it's, It's so, it has to be about the art. And that's really, really important. I think that's what a lot of people don't understand. And I'm not saying you got to like, you know, worship the art and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, wear robes and, you know, you know, belong to like a cult thing. But it's like, it's like, you know, it's, it's more than just me, you know, it's more than just me. That's a really, really important. That's a really important point. Hey, Tim, that was pretty good. Thanks, Joe. You're welcome. You guys are a good team. (laughs) What uh, what have you been up to, Tim? Since last, I feel like a year ago, a year and a half ago, we did this. But mm-hmm. are you teaching at the same? Yeah, I teach at the Ace Academy, yeah. and some, and it's in Orange County, Southern California. And I do a fair amount of um, seminars, nice. traveling for seminars. Also teaching traditional stuff, or not, not as much not anymore. A little, not as much, not too much. So I, I teach jiu-jitsu, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, obviously. That's probably the bulk of it. And then I do um, what I do a fair amount of is like. Uh, more open topic generic topics so maybe just principles of throws or something so you know hopefully people from different disciplines can can learn something useful or a lot i i have that the ground proofing thing i do where i i teach a lot of seminars for guys with no grappling experience at all who just want the the basics for Mm self-defense i feel like there's a big a need for that because most people unfortunately if they go to their local BJJ Academy, there's no self-defense. It's right. all about sport jiu-jitsu. So, you know, it's just extrapolated. I can teach it in a weekend, really. I mean, the, the basics of it. 
just just enough. Again, it's, you're not going to win a jiu-jitsu tournament. It's just a, how you survive on the ground and try to get back up, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. And, and it goes. it's good because people who do a lot of stand-up, with a little investment in time and a little bit of training, at least they have a, uh, you, you know, they're a lot safer if they got knocked down or got on the ground than they would have been. So I teach a lot of that as well. Um, what, uh, so like, where are you? Where, you're in Orange County? Correct. Yeah. yeah is South there LA. Is ton, tons of jujitsu around your... Yeah, every, yeah. I mean, you, the, literally in... in, in I don't think you could go several, a couple miles without a... There's an academy, another academy, 100 yards from my door. Wow. Right across the street. They're everywhere. Wow. Yeah. So if anybody wants to come to Southern California to train, there's a lot of opportunity. <laughs> a, I think Southern California is the mecca now. It is. It seems like it. Yeah. I mean, I think you get more schools per... And a lot, of, you know, a lot of really good oh, yeah, teachers man. as yeah. well. More than real. Yeah. What, what year did you start doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? 95. Yeah. And who'd you start with? Um, Who's your first instructor? When I first started, there, there weren't many. Uh, there weren't many. So I, I came, I came. I was still living in Asia, and I came back. Uh, I think at Christmas or something, in like ninety. I want to say ninety three. It was before the first UFC, and I, I bought a black belt magazine. And I might have told the story last time, but there was a little tiny ad in the back, and it said it was for a for for a. Uh, tape and it said Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, real fights, and I was like Brazilian Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, but it said real fights, so I sent away for it, right? And it was the Gracie in Action One, and I watched it, and uh, I was like, I you know I never, I mean I knew about judo and wrestling, but uh, I, I was like this, is, I didn't know how to ground fight. I thought this is great, so that's when I first heard of it. So I came back the next year to visit and there was Nelson Montiero was a, he's a Gracie Baja teacher. He was in San Diego and one of my friends had met him. And this was, this was before the first UFC still. So I went there for a couple weeks for a couple, three lessons, you know, while I was visiting home and he's the guy that's where the, um, the sheik trained from the whole Abu Dhabi thing started. Oh, Nelson. no kidding. Yeah. He was there at the time I was there. Really? Yeah. He was sheik going Tanu? to, yeah, he was, I think he was going to San Diego state, I think at the huh. time. So anyway, but it was, it's a, it's a couple hour drive to San Diego from where I live. So, you know, I went for a few lessons and I went back to Taiwan and about six months later, the first UFC happened. And when I came back a couple years later, there was a lot of jujitsu. Yeah. So I trained, I went back to Nelson's for, when I moved back to the States, I went, I went back to Nelson's for about six months cause that's how I knew. And then I trained with uh, Mark Eckert, who was a Hicks and Brownbell at the time. And then I trained with Joe Marrera um, uh, for a couple years until I got my blue belt. And then I trained with, with Clubber Luciano, my main teacher, and all the way to black belt. And you were his first black belt? I was Clubber's first black belt, yeah. Yeah. Did you train with the Sheik? No, no, no. I, I rolled, well, I wouldn't call it rolling. I got smashed by his bodyguard once. <laughs> his bodyguard had to train, and he, he, was, a, he, was, a, he was a big man. And uh, he was there one day, and I'd been training, like, I don't know, two months. So I went to ro- roll with the, you know, the guy, and, uh, yeah, I, I always remember that. But um, no, you, the cheek. I think only did private lessons. Yeah, yeah, you could afford it, right? Yeah, I mean that's amazing story in itself. Like how that happened and what has gone on with yeah. him to and what he has done. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. it's unbelievable. Yeah. Like the ADCC is, you know, it's big. It's big. Can you imagine if the sheik liked golf? Yeah, right, right. Maybe right. It would have changed the whole direction of yeah. grappling. I mean that. 
you know, I mean, obviously we just had the ADCC and that was, uh, it was unbelievable. Yeah. Um, it's funny how things, you know, kind of wind through, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He liked, he liked to, he liked to, he liked Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. So I would love to know how he found out about it. Yeah. You know? That's a good question. Like, yeah. how did he show up to that's a podcast for you to do with a sheik right, I gotta find a sheik <laughs> I'm coming I'm gonna come we're gonna figure it out I would like I would. I mean that is interesting this, yeah. how that whole thing uh, you know how in San Diego did he end up over there at Nelson's place yeah I don't know why I mean he was there to go to school but why he started I mean, right most people hadn't even heard of jiu-jitsu yeah anything, so that's a very good question and it has really changed the course of uh, really, really has grappling yeah I mean he he was the one of the first guys to actually put money up, so guys, you know, could actually right. make a start to make a living doing that stuff. You know, um, we, you guys know about Fight to Win, the new Fight to Win thing they're doing, where it's basically, um, it's almost like a night of MMA <clears throat> fights, but it's just oh, jujitsu match. Yeah, J J J one J one in that last yep. one. Yeah, yep. no, I was, I was happy to see that. Um, yeah. <laughs> so basically, and they're doing it all over the country, this, this Fight to Win Pro, they do it all over the country, and so they go to different cities, and, and they have 15 or 20, you know, just super fights. Yeah, I think it's a great concept. With, with, with lights and music. and How was how was it? Um, it looked like it was fairly well attended. Yeah. Point. Yeah. I mean, they're awesome shows. <clears throat> No, they had some really nice matchups, I think, too. Great match. The Boston one, was the card was amazing. Yeah. But, and they're also paying. You know, which they is, pay everybody, which is good. Which instead of like a lot of jujitsu tournaments, you have to go pay, right? Exactly. To uh, you know, to be world champion, or 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 you actually participate and then they don't pay you. Yeah, right. In some of those tournaments, which we won't. What, that happened to you? <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, I've had people on as, that, that that have been stiffed on. Yeah, uh, it's not right on on those things for. Yeah, it's sad. Yeah. Um, it's sad. So these guys Fight seem to, to be win. doing it right. Yeah. Fight to win. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I remember. Yeah, I mean, that was a couple months ago, right? Yeah, yeah it was and, here. But it yeah. started. At, the guy. The guy was a that started it. Um, Seth Daniels is like he might have. I don't know if he was an Olympic judo guy, but he was a judo guy. He was teammates with Rick Hahn. Okay. Yeah. In judo. Yeah. And, uh, I think they're out of Denver or, or that area, and mm. they've started there, and then. They, We've seen it in Philly, and I hope it catches on, man. I think uh, it is. Yeah, I, I think that's good for the good for the art, good for the sport. And and what I like also <clears throat> is what a lot of our guys do is you know they do a lot of the um, the no time limit matches. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've been very you know we like that. I mean, yeah. like I like that. Uh, like there's kind of no time limit, no matches. advantage. You know, advantages, right. no time limit. I mean, you just go until you kind of like. I, I think Eddie Bravo, you know, in you know Tim was and was mentioning this also the other day. His rule set is really good for the EBI stuff. I, I do. I really like it. And, and and the recent ones that they come the circuit. I can't remember. Was it? Uh, I can't remember the name of the circuit. Jeez. The good fight. Good fight. The good, yeah, fight good fight. Was just like, in yeah, Portland, Maine. Yeah, yeah, I like. I like the good fight. I like. I like the. I like that whole. Kind of um, event. I like the t- I like the tournament setup. Do you know my wife in the New England? Uh, they had a big tournament in Connecticut. Like, was it a year ago? So a year ago, and this was this was submission only. Yeah. Um, but for the you know for the 
title match, there was no time limit. There were time limits in the other one, right? Yeah. So the uh, the first was it in Gi in the first one? The first one was in Gi, and it was I thought it was like forty five minutes. Wow. It was thirty or forty five yeah, minutes. That, that's great. Um, it's crazy, but it's great. The second one. The right? second one was an hour and forty <laughs> six minutes. Wow. An hour and forty six wow. minute match. It was a hard. I was exhausted yeah. coaching it. You know what I mean? <laughs> Just watching. Andrea yeah. was there. And I had to go to the bathroom so bad. Andrea, <laughs> she did. She, had, I'd be like, I was like, this is gonna be over pretty soon. Don't worry. But the chicken man to fought was super tough. Yeah. And uh, man, it was a war. An hour and forty six minutes. That's crazy. Um, yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Crazy. But I like those. I it was amazing. Yeah. I would do it again. Everybody, yeah. the whole right gym stopped and, yeah. were, and was watching that. Say, yep. That's awesome. It's got my name written all over it. Yeah. I like I like those. I like it better than like, you know, than, yeah, the time limits, are, I, I understand why. Yeah, you have yeah, to have yeah, yeah. some, you know. Yeah. But but I but if you if there's a venue that has that, I, I know I know the guys that train here, they like that better. So here's something that you kind of brought up that made me, and I was thinking about this already yesterday after Marcio um, showed wrist locks and like it, it was like you know I don't know at least in my understanding a couple years ago wrist locks were like cheap or whatever and but so and I've, I've always liked wrist locks and the gym we train at we wrist lock each other all the time and uh, we call it prison rules um, but so Marcio busts out the, the wrist locks yesterday I was like yes and you knew him as a wrist locker um, it's funny how like these things he you know he's an old school guy and then it became frowned upon but now I think they're making a comeback you know um, just another joint right and it's a sensitive one mm-hmm. so it's the smallest one you can lock yeah your fingers right? one of the interesting things that what Tim does is uh, his whole concept of uh, bone he calls a bone leverage and and we studied a lot of the Chinese like um, bone manipulation techniques, and uh, and how you lock, how you lock your bones. It's kind of a, and I think other I've, I think I've heard other people refer to it, not so much as the way Tim does, but like they, they talk about a frame and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. but how what what Tim does is he kind of incorporates that whole like those joint locks, like the wrist lock stuff. Uh, into his jujitsu, like, and and he, and he uses bone bone leverage, where the concept is, and I'll, and you, you can correct me, but like you lock your bones, you lock the bones into the set into your center, so and and it's, it's brutal, and you know like what Marcio is doing, I'm, I'm sure. I've never seen him do it. Well, but putting the butt back yeah, in the elbow. Yeah, 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 and, yeah exactly. And putting it in your hip. Yeah, all that stuff, locking it right into your center. Right. And so Tim, Tim, Tim does that a lot too. Like that whole old school bone leverage stuff. It's really kind of cool. I, I mean, I'm all for it. I don't think it's cheap at all, and no. I don't think leg. Locks, I, don't know, yeah. I don't think leg, leg locks are cheap either. Right. I think leg locks should be. You know, like I think, you know, like when when I was going going through the ranks, it was like leg locks were like, oh, you know. You know, don't do leg locks. You know, like leg locks are like for you know, I don't know, you know, cheap, right. cheap, cheap fighters, and and the guys who, the underground guys, like I can't Kirk and all those guys, you know, MMA dot com yeah. whatever it's called, right. those guys, they were the ones they were doing no geese, and they had this book that they published early on. They were probably blue belts or something like that. 
but they were doing leg locks. And I remember the whole, I remember the whole uproar in the Jews. Oh, I can't go leg locks. Sambo, Russian, yeah, exactly. Russians. All that stuff, yeah. I think it's got, I think all that stuff is on the table. You know, it's, it's, it, you know, within reason. I mean, like, it's like you got to make sure, like, the pe- people that know how to execute it aren't going to, like, rip someone's, like, ACL out, you know, by, or, or, you know, but all that stuff should be taught. The danger in the wrist lock, and I'm sure Marcio, you know, his wrist locks are good, especially on the ground, because you have, you have that, that ground behind you, so you lock it into the center. The danger in wrist locks, the danger in wrist locks is, um, is like, you know, like some of the traditional guys do it, like, and I don't want to dog on any martial art, but they'll just grab your wrist in space. Right. And they'll just try to twist your wrist, and it's like, that shit ain't going to work. Do you know what I'm saying? But if you right. if you lock if you lock the wrist into the body, mm-hmm. that's a different story, you know. Yeah, and then that stuff probably will work. Which that I mean, is per this guy Joey Carta? I think is he was a black belt there, and I'm trying to do the and I'm not doing it right. And he said that he's like you got to control the elbow first. Yeah, you know, or lock the elbow's in. gonna slip away. Right, and, uh, and I think that's exactly what you're talking about. Bone leverage. It's. And so here's the thing, man. We went to this thing yesterday, and this is the beauty of jujitsu to me. It, I mean, it's scary though, too. Is like, I've trained a lot, you know. I don't feel like I know everything, but then I'll come here today and just be like, "Whoa, there's something," you know. I have never even thought of. It's a, it's an amazing. Um, yeah. Yeah, man. You just keep your eyes wide open. You'll always learn something, yep. right? Never ends. It never ends. Never ends. No, it shouldn't. I mean, it should. It shouldn't. I mean, but you know, and if you think it it it, it has ended, <laughs> don't do it anymore. Right. Walk Check away. Here. Play the ukulele or something. Right. You know, do something else. I mean, that's that's the whole thing. Hey, you know what you should do? That you know, you should actually do like next time you're repping stuff like that. We should do just a bone leverage thing, the whole bone leverage like kind of like uh, workshop seminar, because. Uh, because a lot of people haven't got exposed to a lot of that stuff. Like, that bone leverage stuff is cool. I mean, especially when you lock it in. It's like, right. oh, man. I mean, it makes me think of, too, like, in the, like when you said framing. How, because we used to rock climb. And, like, when you're rock climbing, you know, you try to hang on your bones and not your muscles. Yeah, exactly. Know? Same thing. It's, exactly. Right. That's what Same it, thing. Use your, use, your, use your bones. Right. Your you know, tendons and your bones. Yeah, don't, don't use your muscles. Don't be like, you know, yeah, flexing on this thing. Exactly. Trying to hold yourself up. Exactly. That's why he feels so heavy. I mean, how much you weigh in these days? About 152. <laughs> yeah, it feels like a, like a load. Right. You know? No offense. <laughs> and I'm taken. Right. But, but be, he, he uses, like, his frame so efficiently and then he drives force, like you know we were talking about today, like in those connection points, you know, like drives the force through those connection points, and, he, and his frame is is so lined up, it's like you know it's just heavy. smearing, smear, yeah, yeah, I like that, the, uh, the smearing, the smear, the the rolling out the pizza, it, baby, you roll know? out. Now you're talking my lingo, right, right, pizza. There's one thing Joe knows, it's pizza, <laughs> pizza. <laughs> yeah, I love pizza. Uh, who does, if you don't like pizza, that's I don't. Some wrong. I, I don't trust geez. a guy who doesn't like no. pizza. No, no, I love. I could eat pizza, you know, every day. I could. I do. Oh, I look at my body. I do. I, I could. I do. Uh, that was something today, right? Like, I mean, I feel like I'm a little guy, obviously, and uh, 
and but coming from judo, I think maybe my hold downs are, are better than you know. Oh yeah, they are. Jiu-jitsu sure. people, yeah. yeah. You know, and I'm usually able to put a lot of pressure on and you know what and hold people. I can hold people down. Yeah. For the 30 seconds it used to be, or 25 seconds I think it used to be. But then, like you know, you got like there was a couple things where I was doing, and I think it was me being lazy, and you you know, and that's when we started talking about the schmearing. Yeah. Whereas you know, getting down in there, right, and pushing. Yeah, through. where's the guy's you know center line? Where's his spine, and where you want to schmear it? You know, on one side or the other. Mm-hmm. You know, got to schmear that thing. Schmear it out. I mean, it's a cool. That's the thing that I think old school guys maybe are good at, are better at. Like we got a guy like um, he's been training forever. He was a Julio Fernandez guy, and but he lived in California and trained. Yeah. Trained with all these, you know, he's been around forever. Yeah, yeah. Now he's training with us. Yeah. And that's his thing is just like tremendous amounts of pressure yeah. on you at all times. Well, that's the whole thing, right? So it's like, you know, like how many times do you say space, no space, space, right? And, and, and that's the whole thing. Fighting is just spatial relationships, you know, main, you know, controlling spatial relationship. So it's like getting a boxing ring, right? Same thing. Spatial relationship, you know, in a boxing range. Spatial relationship, if we're kickboxing or fighting in a cage. Yeah. Spatial relationship, like if we're grappling, judo, special, you know, the, right. that clinch phrase. On the grounds, you know, you're, you're creating space or you either take away space or create space. It's as simple as that. And then, and then you have angles and levers and stuff like that. Yeah, understanding how to distance management and, and controlling space is the first most basic principle of all kind of any fighting or war, right? So that's super important. Because in one spot, you can get knocked out, right? And yeah. then and then you could be yeah. too right. far away or too inside. Yeah. Space and position. I just learned that. So you've seen my boxing. It's not good. Um, well, it, it, it's, it, 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 no, it's not that it's not good. I mean, like all of us, we can all improve. <laughs> Some have more room for others. So it's gotten a little bit better, I will say. Not much, but a little bit better. But... I always end up fighting these tall guys. I fought Jay in this ring here, killed me with the jab. So I learned stuff recently where I've been boxing this guy who used to play basketball for UConn. Oh, jeez. I end up with him every time. He's a great, he's 6'10". Yeah, I mean, like, uh, huge. And he's a great athlete, too, so he's real athletic. Oh, good. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, so... I have to be like, so this is what I learned. This is what he just made me think of. I knew, I was like, all right. I got to be way outside, right? When I'm outside, because I kept thinking I'm I'm far enough outside that I'm good, and then he would hit me, right. and I'm like, all right, I got to be a little further out, or I got to get inside, right? So then I would get inside, but I think there's such a thing as too far inside because I would get too far inside, yeah, you can't, and he, and yeah. he, you know, and then I was like, oh man, so I can't get, I can't be too far outside, and I, and I, I this I learned all on my own, yep, through getting punched repeatedly. Yeah. <laughs> It's a great teacher. Yeah, right? Pain. Oh, yeah. Uh, but I didn't realize you could be too far inside, you know? And I'm like, inside, he's pushing down on my head, and I'm like, I'm suffering just as much on the way inside. I got to be like in that. There's a little sweet spot in there. There's a little like, sweet Yeah. Right in the pocket. Right. Got to be right in that pocket. Put your forehead right on his belly button, and, you know, he's... <laughs> You know, he's six ten. Right. Yeah. I would, I would normally say put your forehead right in his chest. Yeah, but no, there's no like, way. Put it right in you his ever, belly button. You ever grappled with a guy that big? I don't think six ten. Not six ten. I don't think. How, uh, how tall is Jay? Six three. Yeah, six three, six, six four, two, something like that. Yeah. I think George. 
Mm. He's taller, right? He's he's pretty big for yeah, sure. So George is like six five, I think. Yeah, something like that. So, um, yeah, let's. Uh, I don't think. I think that's probably about. I think it's about that tall. Maybe six five, not six ten. That'd be crazy. It is crazy. Yeah, it's it, it's and, like and a, an athletic. Yeah, yeah. I don't like that. No, because he can move real well. So it's like. <laughs> A lot of big guys like that. Don't That's a move. problem. I don't like that. It's a I, problem. I have to roll with him. He says when I roll with him, he feels these little pitter patters <laughs> all over his body. <laughs> like That's funny. Yeah, it's getting by his legs and stuff. Get, it's yeah, a, it's, that's a pain. His legs. Are, I mean, when I we stand next to each other, I'm literally out, like up to his belly button. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. Like, I didn't like I don't like rolling with Jay either because like you know back in the day Jay was like he'd just go upside down right. and he'd like have all these like long legs like flinging at you and stuff. It was a pain. Though. It was a pain. hasn't really changed much. Yeah, it's just except now pain. he wraps his gear around you. Yeah, well, yeah, you know, yeah, does all that stuff. But yeah, it was always a pain. I was like, ah, oh, jeez, Jay, you know. Yeah, yeah. it's very frustrating. It was very frustrating. I have to right now when we roll, I just take both my lapels and I hold them in my hands while we're rolling, <laughs> because if not, he's gonna grab them. Yeah, and he'll and he'll be like, why are you holding? I'm just like, you're not having them. <laughs> I would rather roll with no hands right now, <laughs> and that's what I do. Yeah, that's my strategy at the moment. <laughs> You might want to rethink that eventually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but if not, if I don't hold on to him, I mean, I can still hold on to you a little bit with yeah, my. Yeah. But if I don't hold on to him and he gets that lapel, it's wrapped around my leg and wrapped around, and I can never get it out. I can never get free. Yeah, he's a pain to roll with. Yeah, he's great, great. I love Jay. He's a great guy. Oh, first of all, uh, stand-up guy, one of the best, and uh, but he is really a pain in the ass to roll with. Yeah. But I think that's good. Right. Yeah, oh, yeah. So, so that's good. Um, like, do you, you know, do you encounter, do you teach stuff like that in your place, or do you teach we how do. to, yeah? Yeah, yeah we, like we, lapel guards and, yeah. I mean, you try to, we have, we have an emphasis, a, fair, a fairly strong emphasis on self-defense as well. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, still, it's, you know, it's, it's everybody competes, so, you know, we keep up on that. But what I, what I try to do is, is, uh, what we would what we would know old school is basics first, yeah. Because basics, old school basics. What basics means is the stuff that works the most, right? For real, works the most. So whether it's in a gi in a tournament or in a fight, mm-hmm. so I like to have that as a foundation. But you know, you got to keep up. Even if even if you don't like newer things, you're going to run into it. And you know, and if it's a sport fight, you do sport techniques, right? Yeah. So you know, you want to keep up on it as well. Yeah, something that's just fun. I mean, it is fun. Fun to do, right? yeah. except when the person's got the gi wrapped around you. Then it is not <laughs> fun anymore. Yeah. It'd be the opposite of fun, but right? Yeah, if you did it first, it's fun. Yeah. 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 yeah, It's fun for the person wrapping the gi. We yeah. did a cool mini worm guard yesterday. Uh, yeah, that yeah. was cool. Yeah, that's yeah. Good for us. That's cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, we learned. I mean, there was so much. That, like I said, like I walked out of this thing yesterday, and it, and it was, and I was just like, whoa, like. That's cool. Yeah, that's great. That's that's what it should. It should be like you know. It, it, a couple of things I think should happen is you you walk out and go like this. Wow, I'm a little bit better, or a little bit more knowledgeable than when I walked in. And you know what? I have I made some friends. Right. You know, at the end of the day, you know, it, or you know, like people that I respect, and you know, we have some commonality and you know, camaraderie. I mean, that's at the end of the day, that's what should happen. 
And I think more, more often than not, it does, right? Yeah, like today does. we walked in here. It does. And your guy, I forget his name, Tyler. Tyler. Hey, he's like home. the most welcoming guy. Yeah, Tyler's and, great. And that is, I love that. Yeah. I, I want to be, I want to be the guy, I want to be friends with everybody, like in yeah. all the jujitsu academies. It should be. It should yeah. be. There's no reason not to. Right. You know? Life's too short, too, man. Right. I mean, people, <laughs> life's too short, you know? This to 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 not be like that, you know. Mm-hmm. It's just stupid not to be like that. It goes back to ego too, right? So it's like, oh, you know, the whole tapping thing, and you know, it's, it's who cares? At the end of the day, really, you know, who cares? You right. you learn. I like what the Gracie kids say, like uh, uh, Henner and Hori, uh, Huron and Henner. Like you lose, you win or you tap. You win, you win or you lose. Uh, you learn. win, learn. Win or you learn. Right. Yeah, that's a really good attitude you know I, I do I really believe that so that's what we're here to do right is have fun and learn yeah exactly hopefully we're not fighting right no one's making any money right right so it's like if you are a competitor you would get I feel like you get better from learning in the academy and then you go out and compete right exactly. not compete in exactly. the gym exactly I mean I'm sure Buchecha when you trained with how long you trained a couple of years with Buchecha yeah, right? a couple years yeah I mean he wasn't Competing in the gym, no, right? No, for the no, gym no. title, the Tuesday night gym title, right? No. Yeah, Tuesday night gym title. No. <laughs> That'd be funny. No, no. They, you know, they roll up. I mean, if you're getting ready for a competition, of course, the whole level of intensity goes up. But in, so the way, I, I mean, the way, basically what you guys said, the goal of rolling in the gym is to get better at jiu-jitsu. And the goal of competing is to win. Right. They're not exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, if you if you're trying to win every night at your local academy, you're not you get, getting better, probably. You know, you right? Get stuck in the same flow of events, hard to learn anything. Yeah. Same techniques. Yep. And it's an interesting thing to just remind me of something. Hickson said. He said. He said uh, that um, you go to. You're too often in academies. It goes from training partner to com- opponent. And it should you know you got to you. You have to watch that. It has to because as training partners, you get better. As as an opponent, now you like you just said, George. Now probably neither of you guys are, are, are progressing. Right. You're just you're just throwing out your best techniques trying to win. So you know, like you know, you guys, you get guys coming in. They start five minutes. They they're cooperative and training partners. You know, experimenting and stuff like that. Then all of a sudden, someone flips a switch like old ego time and then like all of a sudden it's on you know and like your opponent and then 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 really nothing you don't really gain too too much out of that it's a good workout and blah 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 but it's someone gets their ego fed Mm -hmm. and that's about it you know do you guys try to do i mean this is something we've been doing a lot of do you guys do positional rolling yeah it's super important i think so right you need if you go from zero so if you look at a normal class, right, so the teacher shows the technique, and then when they go to practice it, you know, one guy just lays there, and he lets you do it. I mean, you have to start like that, right? right. But then the problem is, you know, you drill it for 30 minutes or something, and you got the idea of it, and then you go to roll, and then you start fighting. So, you know, you know people, it's very hard to start to implement. It takes, then, then you know, you go, and then three months later, you learn it again, and you go, oh, yeah, and you're a little bit, it takes a long time. So, I think it's super important to... Um, there's, there's non-technical drilling, right, where you, maybe it's positional or, or you're going through 
you look working on a concept and then there's like technical drilling. So what you need really, I think as a, as a, an overall template is it, it's not, not a good idea to go from zero to hundred, like no resistance to just start fighting. It, it's the middle range. You've got to start at zero to get the idea of the technique, but mm-hmm. it's the middle range where you actually get good at the technique and then you actually start to be able to implement it. And if you can find that, you know, 50% kind of range, either through drilling or your both partners are on the same page when they, when they, when they train, you'll get better like exponentially faster than if you just start fighting as soon as you learn the technique. I do it all the time because, because I get a lot, I have a lot of beginners, you know, a lot, a lot of white belts and it's just in, I, I can't let them just go because it's, it becomes the melee brawl, you know, like it's like, it just gets ugly, you know? So, um, you know, I, 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 I always do with those guys situational stuff. I was like, I do sometimes catch and release for some guys, flow, you know, but um, I like the catch and release too because uh, there's not a whole lot of ego or make them change positions after like three Mississippis or whatever it is, stuff like that. But the positional sparring is, is huge. Well, plus you're forced to do positions you might not do. Exactly. Everybody does what they're best at a lot. Exactly. Especially in the beginning, right? Exactly. So you've got to be on every both sides of the position. Right. So it balances out their game. And also it gives them a, a template or a blueprint of what the, what the hell to do. Like, you know, because, like, if the guy only just wants to, you know, be a top feeder, right? You know, it's like, you know, it, it reinf- it, you go through that that process of, like, you're inside, he's stuck inside control. So, you know, here's... What am I, you know, what are the, what am, what's the process for me to, to, you know, what's, what's being presented to me, you know, as far as like, what's the guy doing? And then what's the process for me to get out over and over and over and over again, you kind of burn it in that template. It's really kind of important. Plus, I think it takes some of the ego out, right? Like, whereas like, if you got, if you're, you got a big ego, but you start on the bottom, maybe you have, you know, you're like, wow, I'm on the bottom and I'm going to try to get out, but I'm not going to. You know, exactly. it's okay. I started at the bottom. Yeah. I feel like it takes some of the pressure off. Yeah, maybe yeah, like it does. People. Yeah, it goes back to those white belts. Like they had like two bull elephants running into right. each other, right? And it's like, and then I'll like, you know, like, I don't know how many times I said, well, just someone pull guard, you know, come right. on. Right. Like they're like battling ah. on their knees yeah. or whatever. Yeah. It's like, come on. This is, you know, not getting anything out of this, you know? Right. So, right. Yeah, it's very, it's wicked helpful. I feel, I mean, so and and every lot of people I've respected have told me this, and that's so that's what we started. You know, I'm talking to different people through this podcast and other. I do this podcast just so I can learn stuff from you guys. To be honest with you, but like I'm everybody I'm talking to that I respect is like doing positional rolling and yeah. these things, and I'm like, man, I got to do positional rolling. Yeah, 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 and then we've been doing. The positional rolling for, you know, I don't know how long. I mean, we used to do it somewhat, but not as much. Now, I'm, every night, I'm like, we're yeah. doing positional rolling yeah. in different forms. Yep. And, uh, man, I think it's, I'm like, I'm a, I'm a huge believer. Yeah. I'm a huge believer. Guys get, get better fast. Just like what you were saying. If you don't do position, if you, you know, just if, if we're rolling, I'm going to do what I do best. Even if I start with the intention of not doing it. Once the, the the temperature gets turned up a little bit, I'm doing my A game. Mm-hmm. You're gonna then you're gonna start turning it up. You're gonna do your A game, and and neither one of you know we're just then it's just a battle. Yeah, and almost like what you said, Hickson said, where it's like we're opponents and not yeah. partners. Exactly, exactly. Which is an interesting thought. It, it it's 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 really spot on. Yeah, I mean I can't tell you. I mean I you know until he mentioned that said that I was like. 
was like, oh shit, that's what happened to me my whole jujitsu life for the first 10 years. Everyone's my opponent. Everyone's right. my opponent. I would hate to like do the line. I'm like, okay, here we go. You know, a guy cross, and then you move to another guy. Right. Guy cross. I'm like, I got God, dude. I got this guy. I got this, this guy. guy. Oh. You know, it, it, it's you know, you know, I I could have made so much faster progression. You know, say so, you know, it's so. Hopefully, that's like the whole thing. Hopefully, you know, some new guy who's teaching jujitsu who's listening to this podcast will go like this. Hey, I hope so. Situational rolling, man. Let's 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 try to incorporate that into the program. You know. Yeah. It's worked for me, yeah, 100%. Um, and I've also learned recently, I feel like this is more, this is even, you know, broader maybe, is like if I try to hold this stuff in that I learned, like if I want to keep it a secret, it doesn't help me as much as if I like, I immediately, when I, we learn something today, I'll go back and show people at Port City. Yeah. And, uh, and it's like somehow that helps me. Yeah. It's weird. I don't, I, I don't like, yeah. you know, I just show, I'm like, here, you guys, this is what I just learned yesterday. And somehow that helps. It reinforces it in your own brain, too. Yeah. It re, it, you know, you, you, teaching. Teaching reinforces it, like Tim said. And you know what? On an, on a, on an ethical, you know, scale, it's kind of the right thing to do. Cause right. Because you're sharing. <laughs> right. So it's like, you know, like. So you like, shared with me. Now I'm. We share, share with some, you know, someone else, the, the guys at Port City, right? It's like. You teach, you get better by teaching, and you're, you're doing the right thing ethically. You know, it's like it's not like you're, yeah. It's like for what? Why are you, you going to hold those techniques? Right. You know what? So you can catch some guy, right? And that goes back to your make ego. me feel good. Yeah, for, oh, for, good. For I caught minutes. him with that. Right. Yeah, I caught him with that technique. Yeah, it's like <laughs> you're. Yeah, come on, man. You know, like what is that? Right. You know? And it's even better. Like I, I've been traveling a lot lately, and I went to a place and I learned this like little sequence and I went back and showed everybody and then I was still doing it to people and I was like oh you know that one's really good if you just showed it to them and you still can do it you're like man that you know is good yeah Um, I don't know that's I'm I'm, the more I've done it the more I'm more of like a jujitsu hippie I think somebody said that to me the other day and I was like yeah like let's just share it yeah let's just share it what's the right thing to do yeah tell the art gets better right it's how the art gets better, man. You know, so yeah, like anybody comes in here, um, I I show them, you know, depending on what their level is and stuff like that. Like, so, like, like we talked about connection, mm-hmm. or, like with you. I mean, I might not, you know, white belt. I'm not going to talk about like connection and like where the line of force is with that. You know, like on right because they because they won't get it right? right. So, but but you know any but for a person that. I'll, I'll share anything, you know, because yeah, I don't care. I mean, that's the way. I mean, that's the way it should be, you know. Uh, I'll share. I'll share anything. So that does this make sense too? And this is something that I think I've sort of figured out recently, and from people telling me, but in, te- in trying to be a better teacher, um, is I think at first I used to try to teach. Um, I would teach a move, and I would try to teach you every single like forty-seven details, right? Yeah. What do you, I mean? So I think, yeah, you, ha- you have to look at the, t- a couple things. You look at the level of the student, and you have to look at c- kind of like their capacity to, to get the information. And then people learn differently. Like some people, if you explain it, you know, you, you, you explain it, uh, you talk about it, they kind of get the idea. A lot of people just need to feel it. Some people just watch it. You know what I mean? So you kind of figure out how your students learn. 
So some of them you need to always do it on. You know, it's, I mean, it's good to do that for everyone. Everybody gets to feel it. But mm-hmm. some people, they can watch and, you know, you, you know, you get those students where you say a thousand times, you know, your right hand grabs his call and then they use your left hand. Yeah. So, you know, some people, then you figure out the students and then you know how to teach them better. And uh, you can't give too much information too soon. You know, you can't, or sometimes teachers, they really mean well, but they show something, the two white belts go to roll a little bit. And every time they, one of them makes a move, they go, no, no, stop, stop, stop. They, you can't do that. You don't learn anything else in life like that. It's like like explaining to your you know your little girl how to ride a bike, and then she gets on it, and, she, and you know every time she starts to pedal, go no 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 right? stop stop yeah they got to they got to fall off, and then you you correct a little bit, and then they go a little further, and they fall off again, and you correct them a little bit again, right? So as long as you get the general idea of it, and then you can see right, you see well now now they got that down, then you go in a little more depth. Yeah, too too much information is like no information mm-hmm. to, in the beginning. I I. I attack it in, you know, um, from a, like, kind of concept, principle-based, and, um, and then, you know, have the guys actually feel it. But I, I want them to know why and what's the principles of the reason why it works. Because I think a lot of people, to me, once they understand why it works, then, then they kind of get it, you know? Like, so, so um, during different periods of time when I was training, I'd go through a technique, I'd learn a technique and it was like that, like six steps. And uh, I couldn't retain after the third step, you know, it was like, I, um, you know, my brain shut off or whatever, I just couldn't get it. But what, um, once I understood like why we're doing the technique and what's, what's the objective of the technique, and you know, then it was easier to kind of follow along like I knew I wanted to end up here and I know why I want to end up here and because of you know how things are, are, are set up and, and it's based upon these principles you know and so like and then and then the, you know the, the steps is a, like a process I attack it like how I attack things at work you know so it's like there's a process you know boom 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 but I don't teach the steps I don't teach the process because I think people kind of don't, they get, they understand it, but I think they need a bigger picture first. And then, and then the refinement in, in the steps depend on the level of your ability, you know, in jujitsu and where you are, you know? So like, this is the reason why, like, like, like a beginner, I'll, I'll, I'll give them the whole concept. This is what we want to do. Say like the umpa, right? So, you know, like uh, the bridge, trap and roll. So you bridge up, you know, and you displace the weight, you know, so the guy's head goes over your head, you know, you get on a shoulder and roll it. Like, and I explain, I explain the principles of why that works, you know? So then they, they understand, they go, oh, okay, I got to get the guy's head over my head. You know, I got to get him going forward and then I can, you know, I can uh, trap and roll him. I am not just dumping him off to the side. So that's a win, right? So to me, so like the beginner white belt guy comes in, I, re- I hammer like, you got to get that guy's head over your head. That's your number one job. You know, that's the principle because now we're displacing, we're displacing a mass, you know, so now you can do it. So then they get it like that. They get that. And then like the process or the refinement of, you know, you know, like uh, the details in technique would be you know, a little bit different, like, it, you know, the, you know, as the guy kind of has more experience in doing that technique. And that's kind of how I approach it. But so what works out for me is I can keep on teaching 
like from a concept base because you know like if those guys understand the concepts regardless of their the level they can delve deep into that into the into the into the that specific ask uh, that specific number in the technique to get the execution you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. so it's like they can go real deep whereas the white belt's only going to go like oh i i, I get the guy's head coming forward you know and then i go, they oompa on the shoulder and like you know you know i reach to the sky with my hand blah 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 but like a really good guy like like he goes like he's going to turn his down, yeah he's going to turn his head a little bit he's going to like feel like you know like like where the guy's you know body you know like weight is and he's you know stuff mm-hmm. like that so he can go deeper so that's how i kind of approach it but today just bridging with you i mean i've always moved my head but i saw you moving your whole like yeah and i was like oh yeah yeah stuff stuff like that yeah like you know like in so you that's like kind of like what i was saying yeah you get it right right? so you you see it now i got guys um they're great guys but they're they don't have anywhere near the experience you do george Mm -hmm. and so and what they do they they've seen him do that a bunch of times and you know not doing it right the thing is it's okay like joseph so the beginners at least turn their head yeah right exactly and then they bridge their hips high and they don't you know and then guys of your level you know you see the nuance but it's good, so every, you know they get everybody gets better to whatever whatever their capacities at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, thank you guys. Thank I, you. I had a great day. Man, no, it was I, great. I, I, I learned. Thanks for coming down, man. Yeah, I'm Appreciate stoked. It. Anytime we come, yeah. and I, I, man, I'm I'm serious. Like, I hope it's not weird, but like, I, I, you made me so interested in like China and the Cultural <laughs> Revolution and that guy who's. Uh, I think about him all the time. I'm like. <laughs> Yeah, it's unbelievable. It's amazing to me. It really is. Um, He was a bad mamma jamma. Right. And that, you know, like we're doing this stuff for fun. Oh, yeah. But he was not doing this for fun. He was not doing it for fun. You know, and and traditional martial arts, I think, get a bad rap from a lot of jujitsu. And for some good reasons and different things. But, you know, for there's there. Don't throw the whole thing out. Like, right. I mean, that's an amazing story. Right. Uh, Your story is amazing. You know? Yeah, it is amazing. He's a. I'll tell you this. I mean, straight up. Um, if it wasn't for Tim, uh, we this this gym wouldn't be here, and I we wouldn't be sitting here together. Yeah. I mean, really, he changed like the course of my whole uh, martial art life for sure. But also, you know, influenced me is like how I approached a lot of things. Um, so um, yeah, I'm just happy. He's like he's always been my teacher, but like I consider him like a brother. You know. Actually, awesome. my pa- my parents like him better than me, <laughs> so I guess he is. Like, <laughs> well, that is true. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> love me. Yeah. <laughs> so I, what I what I like to do seriously, uh, what we'll do is in, uh, that bone leverage stuff is yeah. no no joke. Let's do it. Uh, so do um, it again. It's kind of fun because I can catch a lot of the young guys. You know, athletic young right. guys. They're fast and you know, sneaky. like I catch them and they're like sneaky. I like that <laughs> sneaky. Oh, so, I like sneaky. Yeah, sneaky's yeah. good. Yeah. Um, no, I love I love coming down and hanging out with you guys, man. I learn a ton. Yeah. Yeah. Also, uh, on a different note, Dunkin' Donuts here has amazing, um, like eco friendly containers. That's Massachusetts. man. We don't have that in New Hampshire. Yeah, it's this is Mass- awesome. Massachusetts, man. Yep. They still got the crappy foam ones in uh, <laughs> in New Hampshire. So they first started in the uh, in Cambridge uh, when I was going to work, and I. I 
Cambridge was the first one. Seriously, I'm not kidding. Cambridge was the first one that, that started using these, you know, the People's Republic of Cambridge, right? Yeah. And so I was like, what's going on with this new Dunkin' Donuts container? And then uh, and then it just kind of spread through uh, Massachusetts. I, I think it's good. I love it. Yeah, I think it's good. I love it you know, more than It's the, good for the uh, environment, man. You know? Yeah, but also the foamy. Uh, yeah, I agree it's, with you. It's, it's not, doesn't taste good. Yeah, the this is much better. I yeah. Think. yeah. Chemicals are leaching. Yeah, out. whatever. It's not good, you know. I'm, yeah. I saw this and it was like. That's all. Yeah, it's good. Worth, worth coming down for. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks, Thanks guys. guys. Appreciate it.